Good morning. Our scripture reading today is Luke 2, 8 to 14. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David who is a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the, multi the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. Thank you, Barb. Well, good morning again to everybody. Y'all enjoying worshiping together this morning? I hope so. Uh, it's always good, at least I, I think it is, always good to, to worship uh, during the Christmas season. Some of my favorite songs get to get dusted off and come out uh, with wonderful themes and also passages of the Bible. And so over these weeks during December, as many of you know, we're looking at the songs that Luke, one of the writers in the New Testament, gives us describing the meaning of Jesus' birth. They're found in Luke chapters 1 and 2. Uh, Luke is one of four books in the New Testament that tell the story of Jesus' life. Uh, but Luke especially, for some reason, he lingers over the birth story. You know, he loves to, to focus special attention on what it meant that Jesus was born. And so we've, we've seen Mary, the mother of Jesus, Zechariah, this older man, father of John the Baptist last week. And this week we get the song of the angels themselves. And in, in this song, just like the other songs that we saw... Uh, there's not a focus on what happened or how it happened. There's a focus on why it happened, the meaning of Christmas. And, and this one, maybe more than any other, uh, has a, an extra elevated level of importance because we get the angels telling us what Jesus' birth means. One writer that I read this week said this, uh, this is heaven addressing earth about the significance of Jesus Christ. Heaven addressing earth. That's important. We, we better pay attention and listen up because this is like God's own press release <laughs> about what he's doing in the world when his very son was born into it. And it's really interesting, isn't it, how it focuses on this issue of peace. Peace is the thing that the angels want us to know about. Jesus came into the world, it says, in there in verse 14, to bring peace on earth. Now, what is peace? Almost everybody, no matter who you are, whether you regard yourself as a Christian or not, you probably believe peace is a good thing. You probably believe the world needs peace, but here's where we all diverge into many different directions. How do you get peace? How do you get peace? Uh, the Bible, when it uses the word peace throughout the scriptures, in the Old Testament, it was called shalom. You've probably heard that word. And it meant so much more than just the absence of conflict or fighting, which is the way I, when I think about peace, I think that way, don't you? It's just the absence of all turmoil. It's tranquility, uh, the absence of anything bad. The Bible means by shalom or by peace, the presence of all that is good. It's not just the absence of bad or the absence of hostility. It's the presence of good. It's having exactly what you need the most. It's the world having what the world needs the most. And that's why we diverge in different directions. That's why we have different ideas about how to attain peace in our personal lives 
and also how to attain peace on a world level because we all have different ideas about what we need the most, don't we? About what is the most important factor in our lives. Uh, I think Christmas movies, classic Christmas movies, uh, speak to this issue of what we need the most. If you think about it, almost all of them are focused on that. Something is missing and the holiday season you know, provides whatever it is that's missing. Uh, but what do they often say is missing? Think about uh, my favorite movie, Elf. Anybody else like Elf? Yeah, Will Ferrell, a great movie, big old overgrown elf uh, who finds his real dad, you know, in New York City. Uh, if you've never seen it, you need to go watch it. And basically what is missing in that movie is Christmas cheer, Christmas spirit. That's the big thing that we need, this warm, fuzzy feeling that the holidays bring to us, this feeling of belonging. And so as you all know, the best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear, right? That's Elf's answer. That's what we need most in the world. This sort of warm, fuzzy feeling that fills us. And the best way to do that is to sing loud for all to hear. The Bible says something quite a bit deeper than that. Uh, Christmas, the, the true Christmas spirit, if you will, the true Christmas cheer, goes far deeper because what God is doing through Jesus is something that we could never do for ourselves. It's something you can't sing yourself up into. It's something that has to be given to you. And so because God does that through Jesus, what we can't do for ourselves, we have the opportunity to have true and lasting peace in our life. So as we look at the angel's song, we're going to let them be our teacher for a few minutes. And we're going to see three things about peace, the peace that Jesus brings. You can see this in, in your worship folder. The first one is what makes Jesus' peace better than any other. That's the first one. What makes it better? The second, what makes Jesus' peace matter? Why does it matter in our lives? And the third one is, what can make Jesus' peace ours? What can make it something that we experience in our own personal lives? So the first one has to do with what makes Jesus' peace better. Well, if you'll notice, uh, there in verse 18 through the whole passage, really, 18 to 13, God is giving an announcement from none other than angels themselves. And those angels, this would have been a shocking scene, by the way. Just pause for a minute and think about it. You're a shepherd. You have shepherded your whole life, many nights, silent nights out there in the fields around Bethlehem, and suddenly there appears to you not one, but an entire host of blazing, burning warriors of God giving you an announcement. That's a shocking, amazing scene, isn't it? I think we all would agree with that. But what is it that they say? Because I think as, as this angel host comes and tells these shepherds, hey, here, I have an announcement for you. I have good news. God is picking a fight in what he says. He's picking a fight with how they would have thought back then that peace was attained. And I think he's picking a fight with us this morning. He's picking a fight with us in terms of how we think we can gather peace. After all, what does God say there in verse 11? Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, the King. And this Savior, they go on to say, is the one who is going to bring you peace. Now, why do I say that's picking a fight? Because at this very time, there was already a king. And that king, Caesar Augustus, when he was born, there was actually a similar announcement pronounced all throughout the Roman Empire to this one, almost in, in almost the exact same words. Did you know that? And the claim to fame for Caesar Augustus, the most powerful man in the world, is that he can bring a peace that nobody else can bring. They called it the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. 
And here is God coming into the world, breaking open the silent night, saying, you know what? You think you have a king who can bring you peace. I've got one better. (laughs) I've got a better king who brings a better peace, even than the most powerful man in the world. I'm challenging you to rethink the way your life works, to rethink the way that that you're going to make it through life. I'm I'm challenging you to, to blow up the status quo. Maybe you've never thought about it that way before. Maybe you didn't know the historical background, but now you do. Uh, There in Luke chapter 2, verse 1, it says, This happened in the days of Caesar Augustus. Luke wants us to see it. This is a a slap in the face. It'd be like going into a restaurant after church today, and the entire time when you're sitting down, ordering and eating, all you do is just praise the restaurant down the street. (laughs) You know, how how much would that that restaurant owner appreciate it? Anybody think they're going to appreciate it? Not at all. And so God is busting up into this world saying, you know what? The king that you think, the way that you think you can find lasting peace, not the way, not the way. Same thing with us today. We don't have Caesar Augustus, but I think we can all agree that we have plenty of of schemes, plenty of strategies that you and I use to try to, to, to supply what we think is the most important thing in our lives so that we can have deep and lasting peace. We're, we're very independent. We're very we're really very self-reliant in this way. We look to political solutions, don't we? We think getting the right person in all, in all the offices of our government, that's going to bring peace. That's going to satisfy us. Or we think more on a personal level, financial solutions. If I just had that pay raise, if I just had that better job and got that bump in my, my income, everything would be okay. If my kids would just behave, if my wife would just listen to me, if my husband would just care about me and pay attention to me, so on and so forth. We think we have all these schemes to find true and lasting peace. We've convinced ourselves of it. But one thing we have to see is at the Christmas story, God is coming and confronting us about that. He's saying, I am sending my very son, God himself, God the son, is being born as a human baby into this world. You can't get a more radical move than that. And I'm doing it for the very reason that all of your schemes have failed. They do not work. They're going to continue to fail. But here I'm coming and bringing a whole other scheme. God alone doing for us what we could never do for ourselves. When it comes to deep and lasting peace, God has a monopoly. You know, he has a corner on the market. Nobody else can possibly compete with him. And so it challenges us. One writer says that every other thing that we try to put in the place of God to give us satisfaction and peace, that thing is a wicked illusion, the writer said, a wicked illusion. It's an illusion, it's not real. Uh, You really can't build your life on it. And not only that, but it's wicked, it will end up doing you in. It's like we're building this mansion over the top of a sinkhole. (laughs) That's the picture that I have in my mind. We're we're building this mansion over the top of a sinkhole when we put all of our eggs in the basket of created things and personal self-driven strategies. It looks beautiful as we put it up. That mansion looks really great while it lasts. And it just simply doesn't last. And so the song of the angel says, look, listen, God is bringing something into this world that you could never do yourself because he is doing this critical thing. In the birth of Jesus Christ, God is bringing us back to himself. That's That's what Christmas is all about. God became a human being. He came down to our level so that we could be raised up to his level. God became what we are so that we could become like what he is. 
so that we could have fellowship and union with God. That's why, by the way, there in verse 13, when it says there was a multitude of the heavenly hosts, the word host there is not just a word for a crowd. It's a specific word. It's a word for an army. It was used of the Roman army and all other armies at the time. It's an army of angels, an army of, of blazing warriors. Why does that matter? Because normally when an army confronts you, what's their message? Get ready for the fight. The bloodbath is about to begin. You better get your weapons because I'm lining up and I'm coming at you. But instead, what is God doing? He's sending his army and his army is singing peace. His army is singing rest. His army is singing glory to God in the highest. You can, you can come back to God. You can, you can be one, it says there, with whom he is pleased. That's what Christmas is about. God solves our deepest problem by taking away the, the, the conflict between him and us and bringing us together so that the heavenly armies no longer have to point the swords and draw the bows against us but can come with a news of lasting peace. Only the king can stay his armies. Only the king can command them to stop and not go forward into battle. And apparently God has done that in the birth of Jesus. Because there they are, God's very own army, coming to these poor, scared shepherds, saying, peace, peace, peace. That's why Jesus' peace is better. It's because it, it really serves us. It gets to the deepest need that we have. And so it's able to be a deep and a lasting peace that can never be lost. Well, the second thing that we see is not only is this piece better, but this piece matters. This piece matters. Uh, it's a very common thing to think that all this talk of religion, all this talk about God coming down to man, it's nice talk, but it's so far away from us, right? It's so theoretical. It's so deep. It's the kind of stuff that we really don't spend a whole lot of time thinking about because at the end of the day, it doesn't really seem to impact us, you know, Monday through Saturday, you, you may even be there thinking, you know, preacher, you're talking about some great things. I think they're really heartwarming. But tomorrow I got to get up and I got to go back to the job I hate. How does this help me? Uh, I got to go home after this and I'm still married to the same person. Right? I, still, my, my, I still have the same kids who are, are not heads or wh whatever it is you might be thinking. How, how in the world are these deep truths, these, these high truths about what God is doing in the world, how do they help me daily? Well, I want you to notice a very small detail. In verse 14, it says this is an on-earth peace that Jesus brings. It's a peace that matters because it's an on-earth peace. Now, the angel doesn't just say peace on earth. I mean, the, the order in, in the original language is on-earth peace. It's an on-earth kind of peace. It's the kind of peace that matters to the nitty-gritty of everyday life. And it's that way for two big reasons. The first reason is when Jesus came into this world as a human being, the reason why God wanted to become a man and, and live in his own creation, a fully human life, is because God did not intend to destroy it all and start over. He intended to renew what was already there. He intends to renew what's already created. That's the reason this is an on-earth peace. God is not coming to tear it down. God is entering into it from the inside so that he can make it new, so that he can refresh it, so that he can bring new life where there was barrenness, and where there was deadness. Uh, God's mission in the world is a little bit like uh, the mission every episode of Fixer Upper. Any Fixer Upper fans in here with Chip and Joanna Gaines? They're great folks, I think. Seems like it. Don't know them, obviously. But, but what do they do every episode? They don't stand there and say, you know what? Hey, I've got a great idea for this nice house. 
We're going to destroy it with a, with a wrecking ball. And then we're going to burn what's left and start over and build a new one. <laughs> that wouldn't be called fixer-upper, would it? It would be called replacer-upper or something. Yeah. Fixer-upper means they take the guts of what's already there. But they bring their imagination to it. They bring their resources and their skills to it. And they pour it all in there. And, and if you've watched the show and you're amazed like I am, at the end, the place looks so different. It looks like it never, you never could imagine it could look. They take away all the flaws, all the imperfections. They bring it into a whole new look. There's tears. Everybody's crying, sobbing, hugging each other. It's a wonderful thing. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but the Bible presents the same kind of picture at the end of time. Because of Jesus entering into the world, what we're going to see is not everything burn up and then God's people somehow taken as spirits away to another world to live with God and no more this world. Instead, if you don't believe me, look at Revelation 21, the, the, one of the last chapters of the Bible. It says that a new creation comes out of heaven from God. That Jesus comes down here once again and he makes this world new. All the circumstances changed. It says there's no more death at that point, there's no more crying, there's no more pain. Uh, all the things that, that cause us to groan and moan and cause us to yearn for peace in this world, all of those things taken away. And suddenly it says the world's going to be a place where man, where human beings can dwell face to face with God without any problem. That's an on earth kind of peace. But of course, in this story, it brings up the question, and many of you may be thinking, but if that's what Jesus came into the world to bring, why ever since Jesus was born do we still have a world of evil and brokenness? Did it not work? Did God's mission in the world somehow fail? It seems like maybe God at least left me out of this project. And no, the second reason, you gotta listen to it. The second reason why there's on earth peace is because when Jesus comes to renew all things, he doesn't start with our circumstances, he starts with us. When Jesus comes to renew all things, the first thing he does is not change creation and change the circumstantial things, the setting of our lives. First, he comes in to change us. He cares about us. He cares about who we are. And in a sense, he cares about who we are far more than what we go through. Now, don't misunderstand me. God cares about what we go through. I just got through saying God came into the world to renew everything, to take away every tear, to stop every war, to end every example of injustice. But God cares about us more than even that. And so his priority is to come and change us in our circumstances first. To teach us how to love God and to bear up under trouble. To learn how to obey him. Just like Jesus in this world suffered a lot. And it says, the Bible says, he learned more and more how to obey his father by what he suffered. And so the same thing for us. God comes to, to change us from the inside out so that no matter what our circumstances are, our character might be different. Now, how does he do that? He does that by bringing us peace with God now, by showing us that God is not against us but for us. That's what Christmas is about. God became a human being. God reached out across the gap that separated him from us. He laid himself down and died in our place so that he could reach across that gap and draw us into his very heart. And so God's, when God looks at us, when he thinks about us, he sees his children. He sees sons and daughters. He sees those who are like his son, Jesus Christ, to him. He loves them. 
And so how does that help? No matter what I'm going through, if I know God is for me, as the Bible asks, who can be against me? If I know God is for me, I know that my first common thoughts when I'm going through something hard are not true. What are my common thoughts? Either one, something bad happens to me, I'm being punished. I've done something wrong. God is against me. He's coming after me. Nope, that can't be true. If your faith is in Christ, it can't be true. Why? God has already punished Jesus for every one of your sins. And God is not an unfair judge. God will not punish him and then punish you. Or, or we tend to think God doesn't care. God's off on vacation somewhere letting me go through this and he doesn't even know and it doesn't even concern him. No, that's not true. Because God left the, the glory of heaven. God left the, the comfort of the angels singing his praises to enter into the world to be born in a barn and laid in a feeding trough for my sake. Of course he cares. Or, or my third thought might be, well, maybe God doesn't even exist. And in that case, of course, it's, it makes the, it's completely dizzying because that means even the thing that I, that I think is wrong that's happening to me really is not wrong. Because if there is no God, there is no right. There is no wrong. There is no reason for me to groan and complain. But instead, what I can know, if God is my Father, of course He exists. Why do I know that? Because I know the working of His Spirit in me. I know the way, to, the way that He supplies peace and love and joy. And no circumstance in my life can argue me out of that experience face-to-face -face with God. That's what I mean when I say... God deals first with us in our circumstances, and then later, one glorious day, he's going to renew all of our circumstances. But first, he starts with us. And I don't know about you, but that convicted me a ton this week because I thought a big reason why I struggle a lot, maybe a big reason why you struggle in life, is because what you're looking for is, a, is new circumstances more than you're looking for God in your circumstances. No, that was true for me. I look more, I long more for new circumstances than I long for God in my circumstances. And in the story of Jesus, in this angel song, he's saying, look, an on earth peace has come. Yes, it will lead to the, the renewal of all things, but first it leads to the renewal of me by giving me a hunger and a thirst for him, a desire to draw near to him in my circumstances. See, how in the world can that happen? Here's a case study. Have you ever heard of the song, It Is Well With My Soul? Maybe some of you have heard that song. It's a very old uh, standard, sort of in churches. It's a great hymn. It was written by a man named Horatio Spafford. And he was a lawyer and a, a Christian. That, those two can go together. <laughs> he was a lawyer and a Christian in Chicago in the late 1800s. And in the, the Chicago fire of 1871, he lost his entire law practice. It was burnt down. Um, and then he ended up losing his business. It didn't, it didn't work after it burned down. And so he decides to send his wife and four children across the ocean to England for a little vacation so that they can get their bearings. And as his wife and four children are going, he's staying behind waiting for the right time to go meet them there. Their ship hits another ship out in the middle of the Atlantic. And loss of life is tremendous. All four of his kids drown. His wife is barely saved by a rescue boat. She gets over to England. She telegrams back, saved alone. Horatio Spafford, I mean, can you imagine how he felt? Can you imagine his grief? 
immediately books, when he gets this message, he books the next you know, ship over. And as he's going across the Atlantic, in the very same spot where his children just died, can you believe this? That's where he penned, it is well with my soul. When peace like a river, the song says, attends my way, or when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, whatever my circumstances, you have taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. I don't know about you, but that's like out of this world kind of peace that I wish I knew. <laughs> How did he get that? Only because he knew his heavenly father. Nothing would happen into his, in his life unless it passed through the hands of his father. And our father, if we're in Christ, always has the best intentions in our lives. Even when we cannot explain it, even when we do not know it, that's what makes Jesus' peace matter. Now the third and critical thing is what makes this peace ours? How can we get it in our lives? I want you to see uh, the third part of the angel's song. They say, glory to God in the highest. You know, only God can do this. On earth peace. But then it ends it by saying, among those, this peace is found. Where is it found? It's found among those with whom God is pleased. And sort of right out of the gate, it's, it's, it's kind of disturbing what it's saying on one hand but it's comforting on the other. What do I mean? It's disturbing on one hand. It's clearly saying not everybody enjoys this peace. It's clearly saying not everybody has it and not everybody will get it. It's for those with whom God is pleased or another way to translate it, those on whom his favor or his delight or his grace rests. And right there, that's disturbing. I know that's disturbing to many people in our, in our culture. Maybe, maybe it is to you. Uh, Christianity is just so narrow, right? It's just so exclusive. You know, why can't it be just for everybody? Why does it have to be the, for those with whom he is pleased? Isn't that, isn't that too narrow-minded and restrictive? Well the, well, the critical question, the reason why that I don't find this so much disturbing as I find it comforting, is because think about the basis of God's narrowness in this case. Think about the basis of his exclusivity. Who is he excluding and who is he including? The basis is grace alone. That's what it means when it says this peace is among those on whom his grace rests, his favor rests. It's those who experience face to face the saving grace of God. It's those who know they are unworthy and they are broken and they could never do it on their own. Those are the only ones that get in. In other words, the only people that are excluded are the people that think they're too good for God's work. They're the people that think, I got this. I got this on my own. I can find peace in my own way. I, I'm going to ignore God and not listen to God. Everyone else, everyone who will humble themselves before God to experience the grace of God flowing in their life, they get in. Well, if you think about it that way, that's a kind of narrowness that's extremely comforting. In fact, the whole story, I think, is set up this way. After all, remember, who are the angels making this announcement to first? Shepherds. I mean, this has got to be one of the top 10 most important things about the, the circumstances of Jesus' birth. Shepherds here at first. Shepherds were the poorest, the most lowly, the most humble. Everybody looked at shepherds and thought, I'm better than that guy. <laughs> I'm better than that girl. I'm better than that family. Everybody looked at them and thought they were better. And yet God went first to the people that were on the bottom rung of the social ladder. Of course, just to make the point that we're making. That this, this peace that we can come to know in Jesus Christ 
can only be known by us if we will humble ourselves, if we will say about ourselves what is true. I am not worthy. I cannot earn it. I cannot deserve it. I cannot sing up the holiday cheer up into my heart. I have to receive it as a gift from God. And so those poor shepherds that night not only got a song, but they got, they, they got a call to go out. Go see what I'm telling you. Go to Bethlehem. Find the, the baby lying in a feeding trough, which would have been probably pretty easy to find, right? There probably weren't too many babies lying in feeding troughs throughout Bethlehem. Go find that baby. Because when you look into that baby's eyes, the angel is saying, what you see is God's gift to man. Wrapped in swaddling clothes. That anybody who humbles themselves, anybody who becomes like a little child, Jesus says, who recognizes their need and their neediness for God, they will receive the the amazing life-altering power of that gift. The gift of Jesus Christ. The lamb who was sent into the world to take away the world's sins. And so, again, it's interesting that these were shepherds. Uh, I was really excited about reading this this week, that these shepherds were around Bethlehem, which is right next to Jerusalem, just a few miles away. Uh, Two years ago, I was over in Israel. I I stood on one of the sites where they say Jesus might have been born in Bethlehem. And you're on a hill, and you can actually look across a few hills across and see Jerusalem, because it's on another bigger hill. You could, back then, you could have seen the temple. And so these scholars say that all the shepherds that, that, were, that were raising flocks in this area were raising them as the sacrificial lambs that would be used in the temple. In the Old Testament, they had these, these sacrifices that God gave. You lay a lamb down and your sins go on that lamb and that lamb is sacrificed in your place so that you can come into God's presence. And these shepherds were likely those that that raised those lambs year after year, lamb after lamb after lamb after lamb. And here's the amazing thing. The raisers of the lambs get to be the first one to see the lamb to end all sacrifice. They get to be the first ones to see that that last great sacrifice that God is going to provide because that baby, that baby was destined to die. That baby was destined to lay himself down when he grew older. And on the cross, he was put to death like a lamb, the Bible says, before its, its butcher, like a lamb before the shearers. Jesus was silent and he took on our sins and being put to death, he brings us back to God. That's how peace is made, because it's a gift. You can't earn a sacrifice. It's the nature of a sacrifice. That someone is laying down something in your place that you never earned and that you never deserved. So what do you and I need to do? If we're going to be those with whom God is pleased, we need to look at the cross. Again and again and again. When I see the lamb on the cross stretched out for me, what do I see? It's far worse with me than I ever thought. Oh, there's no way that I could have made my way to God because here it is, God became a human being to die in my place. However could I have done it on my own? But also when I see the lamb up there stretched out for me, I see, oh, how could I ever be loved more than that? How could anyone ever offer me a a satisfaction or a peace or a joy that goes beyond what this man can offer me, this God can offer me? Because there he is, losing all of his peace so that we could taste it. Willingly giving away all of his peace. Putting himself in the way of God's punishment and judgment. The armies of heaven were drawing their swords against Jesus. 
so that they could come to us this morning, so they could come to our city and our town, and they could say, peace on earth among those with whom God is pleased. Humble yourself. Stop boasting in yourself. Start boasting in Jesus and come to him. That's how you find peace. That's how you and I can know far more than warm fuzzies and holiday cheer at Christmas. We can know the love of our heavenly father that can never be broken or shaken. In the song, it is well with my soul. Why is he able to, to say, no matter what happens, it is well? Most of the song, if you read kind of deep into the, the verses, most of the song is about Jesus. He says, my sin, oh, the bliss of this wonderful thought. My sin, not part of it, but the whole, is nailed to the cross. I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. That's how you know it. You receive as a gift from God a sacrifice that you could never have made in your place. And you live out the joy of a heavenly father. True peace, true peace we're saying, can only come from the Prince of Peace, Jesus. So let's pray and ask him to bring it to us this morning. Father, we thank you so much that you're a gracious and good God. Uh, As we'll sing in in a few minutes, you're a good, good father. And the only reason, Lord, we can know that is because Jesus laid down his life in our place. And so, Lord, I pray that as we now come to communion and uh, experience the Lord's Supper that you have appointed for us, Lord, I pray that we would have in our hearts uh, this sense, overwhelming sense that our Father loves us unlike any other and that every circumstance of our lives, everything that happens, passes through his hands and that Lord you have nothing but the best of us in mind you have nothing but our good and our eternal salvation in mind so Father I love you and praise you and ask that you would help us as we come to your table in Jesus name Amen